0: Hello, welcome to the Truth About Cars podcast. My name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor for the Truth About Cars. You can find us at truthboughtcars.com or ttac.com. We are brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusion supply. So, with that, welcome to the revamped T TAC podcast. We took some time off uh, throughout most of 2023 as we figured out ways to make this podcast better and to, to get a couple sponsors on board, or to get a sponsor on board anyway. My name is Tim Healy. As I said, I'm here with Robbie DeGraft, an analyst Robbie DeGraft, excuse me, an analyst from Auto Pacific and Chris Ton, a freelance extraordi- freelancer extraordinaire for the deeptech.com website and for other outlets as well. How are you guys doing today?
1: I'm
2: doing well. Thanks for uh, having me back on the show. I'm looking forward to chatting with you both. Uh, doing well here too. Now that the Packers are in the playoffs, I'm uh, doing very, very well. Oh, no, that's no, right. I, I don't Packers want to hear it. I'm,
1: I'm yes. outnumbered. Yeah, you are outnumbered, Chris. I'm glad you're a yeah. Packers fan. That makes me
0: happy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me sad and angry. But we won't talk about football too much today. There's a lot going on in that. Actually, a lot going on there with uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick both leaving their jobs. It's <laughs>
2: never thought I would see that happen the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, this could devolve into a different kind of podcast stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one that would make me a lot angrier about uh, things than I normally am. Because <laughs> go go Dallas next week. It's all I gotta say. Anyway, um. Robbie, you were just – speaking of football, you were actually not too far from the home of the Raiders. You were out in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. I've actually never been uh, – I know it's gotten to be more and more important to the automotive industry over the past at least 10 years, maybe even 15 years. But uh, I wanted to kind of pick your brain and see what you saw. I, let's start with two or three things that really stood out to you in a good way, uh, automotive-related, whether you're talking about um, – a model, a concept model or technology, that sort of thing. And then the inverse of that, you know, three or four things that really you're kind of like, oh, man, that was a flop or, oh, I really hope this doesn't come to fruition or whatever. Can you just kind of walk us through what uh, what you saw overall and the best and the worst?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was actually my very first time at CES this year. I had never gone to this show in the past. Um, so it was, you know, having spent years covering the show or keeping up with the show, you know, remotely, it was really interesting just to see how much of the show is focused now on automotive product and automotive technology. Um, you know, the, the space itself is massive. I mean, you have several different halls, you know, you've got, I think they, I think I heard there were 200,000 people at the, uh, the media days for the show, everything from video games to smart home and kitchen appliances to autonomy and new electric vehicles. So it was, it was a very, um, I guess the way to put it is uh, intense experience in the the sense that uh, everywhere you walked, your your eyes and your mind were just completely blown just at the amount of new technology and features and products that are, you know, here right now and coming to the auto industry uh, pretty much as we speak. Um, You know, the show definitely focused on uh, two main things, one of them being AI, uh, the joke I kind of made was AI everything, like uh, just about every automaker there or automotive related supplier there was promoting and talking about or debuting something that relates to AI, you know, how they're incorporating it into vehicles and vehicle in- interiors and infotainment systems, you know, it, it's, it's almost like we're, we're seeing this tidal wave of AI coming to, t- to uh, vehicle technology to, serve as kind of this you know go-to assistant this like co-pilot that can help you out in all sorts of ways um you know i think there are definitely pros and cons of it i admittedly don't have a very expansive knowledge when it comes to just you know how ai works and how it constantly evolves and learns and grows but you know i do think there's some benefits of it uh the other thing of course that definitely kind of relates to it is just you know You'll probably, Mm -hmm. if you've read any coverage about CS, see this. But like the software-defined vehicle, or you know what I say, is like a software-enhanced vehicle. Um, As more EVs enter the marketplace, you know, and even even beyond EVs, like ice vehicles, hybrids, or whatever, uh, so many of these vehicles are just wired to receive over-the-air updates. uh, You know, new features and you know upgrades available. Uh, You know, it's all of that cannot happen without good cutting edge and innovative software in a vehicle um so the show was kind of split in two ways like you know you had automakers debuting new vehicles itself but then you also had automakers you know showing off different types of new technology coming into existing products or current products so it's kind of the show kind of went both ways it was it was was kind of neat just to see both Excellent, and I'd like to spend a little more time going
0: over some of the specific stuff that came out of CES. And Chris, feel free to chime in as well if you've been following up, if you've been following along uh, from home. Yeah. But let's kind of start with um, Volkswagen and the integration of AI into their vehicles. Uh, on paper, I, I I feel like it's probably well, first of all I think there's already been you know voice assistance that sort of thing in cars for a while now. So on paper, I'm not really quite sure what separates this from what we already have. So I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, how this might actually work in the real world.
1: Yeah, so they're trying to debut um, ChatGPT into their, you know, their in-car infotainment and driver-connected systems. Um, And I believe that they're going to be... Uh, I unfortunately was not able to stop by the Volkswagen booth just because there was so much going on. But um, I do know that they're trying to put chat GTP uh, capability into its infotainment system, as well as link it with their voice assist. Um, so essentially what that allows is like greater flexibility and, uh, you know, a greater range of prompts or questions or requests that a driver or a passenger can ask. Um, But then also on the other side of it, um, the ability for the voice assistant to reply back to the occupants in a vehicle in a little bit more of a, a remote way. So, you know, you think like before chat GPT and some of this like upgraded AI tech that's coming to these assistance systems, you know, a driver could ask, uh, I don't know. Uh, hey Volkswagen, my feet are cold, and the car would reply and say, "Okay, we're turning on the heat and the turning on the heated seats." Whereas now, you know, by integrating ChatGPT, you know, you could e- you could essentially be like, "Hey Volkswagen, um, I'm you know I'm getting tired. Uh, I'm getting close to my destination. What's a good restaurant that's still open that has Italian food?" And then you know the Ida, which is their voice assistant, would be able to reply back with like a much more detailed, um, you know, description and answer, and you know, even allow you to make a reservation per se. So um, that's about as far as I know about Volkswagen's deal with uh, putting Chat GGT in their car.
0: Well, Chris, I think... uh, you test a lot of cars. Go ahead and chime in and see how you let us know how you think that will work in the real world. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I didn't mean well... I cut you off.
0: There. I apologize.
2: No, no, you're fine. Uh, it, it, to Robbie's point, that you know, you can tell the car that you're. Feet are getting cold. Uh, Unfortunately, this seems to be a solution that is to a problem caused by the automakers themselves by the fact that they're removing controls from, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to work through a touchscreen to do virtually anything on a lot of cars. Um, I know this is a thing that I, sadly, until tomorrow, I I will have, tomorrow will be my first time behind the wheel of a Tesla. Uh, I'm, I'm renting a car. I'm getting, taking a short trip this weekend, uh, so I get to experience the uh, all-in-one navigation control. Everything. I think you have to steer from the touch screen. You might have to, um, you know, use the touch screen to determine, you know, if you're allowed to use the restroom. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, since they've taken all of these tools away from us, and it's not just. Uh, the new automakers, legacy automakers, are taking buttons away. They're taking—you uh, have to go multiple steps through menus to do virtually anything with the car. Um, I believe what's the Chevy Colorado? You don't have controls for headlights anymore unless they're in the mm-hmm. uh, unless they're in the menus, and that's that's a regular ice car, truck, whatever. Um, I think they are fighting to build solutions to problems that they've created themselves, whereas I've got a button that tells me, hey, I can direct the heat to my feet with this button. That's on every car up until a few years ago, that was a possibility. Now we have to, we're have we going to have to talk to ChatGPT, and you know, I, I'm a little dismayed by the idea.
0: It, it kind of strikes me as almost like tech for tech's sake, which has been, I think, a big issue in the automotive industry over the past decade, decade and a half, even 20 years now, ever since Bluetooth became, uh, became widely available. I think, you know, there's, there's useful technology. And you know, I think Bluetooth, when it started, was very useful, right? I'd rather, you know, you don't want to be on the phone when you're driving at all, but if you're going to be on the phone, it's better to be hands-free, right? Well, right, I think some of this stuff is taking it a little too far and, you know, sometimes it's just easier to press a button and then tell mm-hmm. chat GTP that my feet are cold or whatever. And I've had issues with, it's gotten a lot better, uh, but trying to get voice recognition to work in some cars, you know, there've been times I've been screaming at a car because it wasn't understanding the command. I mean, now that, that has for the most part, uh, and not just with Volkswagen, but I think across the board, I can't remember the last time that happened. so it's gotta be five or six years where, where I was trying to talk to the, a car's voice recognition system and didn't didn't understand. Um, Siri once in a while using my Apple iPhone through. It, it, by the way, Siri just popped on. I don't want Siri on right now, but uh, Siri and my phone has had some issues. Um, on Apple CarPlay, but even that is fewer and farther between than it used to be, which is a good thing. But in general, you know, I, I think, like Chris said, it, it's it's the automakers kind of their own their own doing here. And also, I don't even know how much I use these systems. I mean, I I use them to test cars, but even Mm -hmm. then sometimes, I'll be honest, and a little peek behind the curtain here, sometimes I forget, right? I'm so focused on how well the car drives or how comfortable the seats are or whatever, that, or I have a short loan and just don't have time to play with it. You know, on a first drive where you only get maybe two hours behind the wheel, you might not play with it. So a lot of these systems, I don't even know how much customers are using them. And, And obviously automakers would have internal data on that and they would know better. And Robbie, you might be privy to some of that data through your job, but we, you know, I just don't even know. I mean, there is some fun stuff with it. I've always laughed when it, I think it's Mercedes Benz, you can, you can say to the system, Hey, tell me a, ger- a joke. And it will say, well, I'm German. I'm not allowed to say jokes, but <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't really know the point of all this stuff to me. And this is my personal opinion. And you guys might disagree, but I think as far as voice recognition goes, I know we're kind of, I know I'm a little bit all over the map here, but uh, as far as voice recognition goes, I don't need chat GTP, artificial intelligence. I do need, you know, the ability to be hands-free if I take a phone call. I mean, obviously, I prefer not to be on the phone when driving at all, but Mm
1: -hmm. sometimes it's
0: unavoidable. I I also, you know, here and there, navigation is is the most obvious thing for voice recognition. Hey, I'm driving. I can't punch something into the keyboard on the infotainment screen at 75 miles an hour, I need to put the address in manually or find the nearest Starbucks or whatever. If I'm on a road trip, I don't know the area. So that's really where I need voice recognition the most. Um, Your point, Robbie, about IDA and and how it's more detailed if you're trying to find the nearest Italian restaurant or whatever. I do remember Toyota doing something similar. I don't know how much of it was voice recognition, and I don't think they ever used the words artificial intelligence because this was in 2011, and we just... Well, first of all, we got to. I should clarify there is difference between artificial intelligence and a large, and a large. What is it? Uh, large learning model or language? Yeah, large model. learning uh, model. Mm-hmm. Uh, large learning model. Thank you. I mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. We we often refer to that refer to that as AI, but really we've had AI in some sensor form for a long time. Spell check mm-hmm. on your Microsoft Word and your phones. Yeah, AI. Auto correct is AI. We've had AI and in auto in, in navigation systems for a long time when they kind of anticipate what street name you're you're typing in. But I remember Toyota the- doing
2: something. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No, this is the automotive uh, equivalent of Clippy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, remember, I would like
1: Clippy on my dashboard. You know, just like hanging out while you're driving, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. looks like you're trying to turn right. With
0: <laughs> like help, exactly. I, you're trying to navigate a roundabout. You've never done this before, but no. Um, I before Robbie, you can hop in and just but I want to one a point real quick. I, I was yeah. just going to say, I remember Toyota doing something. I think it was involved uh, part of Entune or, or something like that about. 10, 12 years ago, around 2011, where Toyota had us at the New York auto show. They even did a whole demonstration over breakfast at the Plaza hotel. Like it was, we sat there and it was like, you want to, your wife is mad at you. Your husband's mad at you. You want to order flowers on the way home from work. You could do this voice recognition thing. Basically what it was, was navigation that helped you find that Italian restaurant, the flower Mm -hmm. shop, whatever. And it was, it was basically a more detailed, slightly improved version of what was already in the market at the time. So I guess my point here is, um, without rambling too much, I guess my point here is what is new about this Volkswagen system that we don't already have. Especially if you've got CarPlay or Android Auto, I can already mm-hmm. find via via Siri on my on my iPhone if I needed yeah. a flower shop or Italian restaurant. Now maybe it won't give you a lot of detail. Maybe it won't say how good it is or whatever. I, I actually I think they do show you in the display stars that they get. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know I don't think it gets super detailed, but you know, is it just is it the only advantage here that this is just a little more involved than what Volkswagen already offers in its cars, what you can already do through Apple CarPlay? That's
1: that's you know that's what it seems. And like I attended the Mercedes Benz press conference where they talked about their new, um, you know, their MB. It's called it's you know their MBUX infotainment, but it's called their MB OS. So their you know new advanced operating system, which is supposed to like incorporate a lot more AI into it, and you know, some of the things that they, some of the capabilities that they promoted was uh, essentially what you just said. Like if you asked for, um, you know, hey, what's a uh, what's a sushi restaurant nearby? And one of the things that they talked about was like, oh, with this new feature and, you know, integration of AI, it'll show you like ratings on the screen and everything like that. Um, and they even, and again, like I, I love Mercedes-Benz. I think they make tremendous products, but they 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 demoed kind of the the voice recognition system that they were you know showing off. and just the the dialogue between the person on the stage and the supposed you know AI backed voice assist. it was really basic. And I was just mm-hmm. you know I, I was sitting there and I was like listening to it. and I'm like, I feel like this has been around for years, and now Mercedes is doing it. and then my other my other thought was like, if I'm driving with my wife somewhere and we're looking to find a place to go get dinner, we're not going to ask the car for a recommendation and ratings. You know, I can guarantee you, you know, like she's going to pull up her phone and do her own research and do that. So I guess what I'm, I guess I'm the, I think that AI in a sense does have its purpose in cars. Um, but I think to a limit, we uh our market research team. We stopped by a uh, a tech company called Shiva, um, and they are very, very like up and coming. But they've got some AI technology that, you know, if they had it available in a car right now, I would 100% pay extra for it. And their their AI based technology essentially links your vehicle's VIN number. And uh, if you're pulling up to like a gas station pump or if you're pulling up to a parking garage or an EV charging station, um, as soon as you approach that uh, spot, it'll show up on the screen that you've arrived at this pump. Can you confirm? And then you can essentially like do the entire transaction process on the infotainment screen, get out, put gas in the car, plug in your charger or press the button to, you know, open the parking gate. Um, so like that—that that to me is like a really clever, good use of AI. You know, if I'm if I'm tired and I'm coming home from a flight and I'm going through the parking garage at the airport and it's time to pay and oh, you know, crap, I have to find my wallet. Where is it? Is it in my, my check bag or something like that? Or my carry-on? You know, Shiva's software essentially uses AI to be like, okay, you're exiting the parking garage. You've been here for X, Y, Z hours and days. Um, you know, would you like to leave? And then you press a button on the screen. It oh, processes cool. the credit card transaction, and then the gate opens up. So I mean, something like that. I think that that's a great example of like, you know, AI does belong in cars. But I think, um, Mercedes-Benz. It's does be limited. It's, yeah. it's it's limited. Yeah, it's got to be limited. And you know, I think so. Mercedes-Benz debuted this thing called Sound Drive with, uh, you know, Will I Am, who's in the Black Eyed Peas, um, and it's it's a feature that's you know it's backed by ai it's confirmed to be arriving i think within the next year or so to some of their like amg products um but essentially what like it's called mbox sound drive and what it is is it's a a feature that studies how you're driving the car and then creates almost like a soundtrack to that's interesting yeah yeah and like in, in hindsight, like, yeah, like, that's, it's, it's cool to think about. But then again, like, you know, I look at that, I'm like, is that too much or,
2: you know, should it's automakers, fun, is, is but... it
1: gimmicky and fun? Yeah.
2: But is it giving you a playlist based on how fast you're driving? Like you're, you're going radar love or you're playing you know, some, <laughs> some waltz somewhere or what? What's that? Uh, she wants revenge song. Ever hear that
0: drum beat? I think it's uh tear you apart. Ever hear that drum beat. I speed up.
2: Yeah. And
1: it's, it's, <laughs> you know it's it's it takes everything from i guess like you know the the rate of the suspension dampening to the steering angle to the throttle and the braking response and it creates like a soundtrack for you but like when i see that and i get into a car that has an adas system that doesn't always work 100% like in the rain yeah. or the snow like i'm like guys why aren't we investing more money into that instead of stuff like that so i feel like AI has its purpose in cars, but I think like some automakers really need to ease off the gas a little bit just because I'm not sure like consumer demand is there. And we're probably, I'm going to see if we can maybe in our next um, nationwide uh, future attribute demand study, which is where we pull new vehicle shoppers on what kind of features they want in their car. um, I'm going to suggest maybe we even start just asking straight up, like, is AI something you'd like in your car, and how comfortable with are you with that? Because that would, I'd be interested just to see if there's demand that you know is that backs up all this huge push for AI that automakers are making. We
0: only have a few minutes before uh, our first break, mm-hmm. but I definitely wanted to finish up the AI the AI conversation. We can come back after our break and discuss a little bit more from CES, the the new Honda and some of the other stuff that, that's been shown. But um, one thing I was thinking when, when you were talking about. The, the the parking gate at the airport. One thing that I was thinking about was if you have an EV or a plug-in hybrid, AI could use could be used to help you charge. So right now, you go to a charger and depending on how the charge, depending which comp- charging company you're using, you mm-hmm. tap your credit card or your phone against the thing. Well, maybe with AI, you could just sense that you're there. And when you plug in, it automatically deducts from your account. Yeah, and that's... So tapping, and I know tapping is literally takes two seconds, and it's not exactly inconvenient.
2: Yeah. And, and that, I, know I'm, I know
0: I'm getting to the point of first world problems here, but it's just like, yeah, maybe it saves one little step, especially if it's freaking cold in Milwaukee mm-hmm. Chicago. You don't want to get out of the car. Well, you had to get out the plug-in, but you want to minimize your time outside the car. Maybe the minute that plug clicks and then the minute the charging starts... Your bank account is attached, and it just automatically deducts without even having to waive a credit card. Mm -hmm. Worry about dropping it in the snow, or about your phone not reading, or whatever.
2: But Tim, that was oh good.
1: I was just gonna say, and that was actually something. Um, you know that company Shiva. That was actually one of the the capabilities that they demoed was the fact that you could pull up to a charger. You know, you could. They actually showed it. They they had a couple charge point units that they were able to sync their technology to. Um, you know, the guy pulls up in his EV it shows up on the screen that you've arrived at charger four um, and you could just click start charging and then he can get out and just do it, you know, instead of having to log into your app, do the tap to play thing. And it even also allowed for on-screen reporting if the charging station wasn't working, which I thought was really cool.
0: Really, really, which
1: I think that's critical is, you know, public charging uh infrastructure i hate to say it 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 sucks right now it's no it's it's terrible it's it's unreliable unfortunately and there's never really a easy and quick way to report a problem and that's one thing that like shiva is trying to do with uh their their software you can just pull up to a, a charging station it recognizes your car's been in payment and then it just makes it super easy to do um it's really impressive stuff
2: well, Excellent. and to that point, We're it seems ahead, like it—it yeah, it seems like something that could be doesn't necessarily need to be baked into the car. If your mm-hmm. car—and I'm I'm looking directly at uh, the Rensen—but if your car has uh, Android Auto or Apple CarPlay or um, CarPlay, so basically anything but the new Blazer EV, it should be something that you link your phone to your car you pull up you charge you can plug and charge and it charges whatever payment is is attached to your phone everybody lives with their phones at, you know side by side uh, by their sides 24/7 mm-hmm. why does it need to be baked into the car when it mm-hmm. simply could be another app within the phone mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah we've got about a minute here before break but i wanted just to i think i just want to wrap up on this segment I, I to me i think a lot of this is the modern version of the old concept cars that we used to see at auto shows when we were growing up. It used to be that you got people in the door through really cool looking concept car, maybe, maybe making promises about the engine or whatever. Now it's, you know, talking about AI and and in-car convenience features and how you can use your car as a rolling smartphone. And that great, that generates attention. We're talking about it. We're writing about it. I think T-Tech has covered all the different things we just talked about, except for Shiba. Um, you know, so that's maybe what's getting the attention and getting the press, but maybe it's not so much that's going to be a big deal to the average consumer. So, with that, we will take a quick break. I need to uh, kind of talk to you a little bit about eBay Motors here and discuss how eBay Motors is here for the ride. And I'm going to talk a little bit, just for about a about two minutes here about one of my favorite rides which was the my favorite of the four cars that I've owned and I don't currently own a car cuz of where I live I live in the city I have test cars and only one parking space if I did own a car it would be compact sporty and probably have a manual transmission so probably like a civic type, civic type SI or excuse me civic SI or Acura Integra A-Specs, something like that but my favorite ride of the four cars I owned and just for those curious I owned uh Ford Bronco 2 was my first car and I did not much care for it because I had some reliability issues. I also had a 1989 Mustang Foxbody LX with the 5 liter and I had, and somewhere in there I had a 91 or 89, I think it was a 91 Grand Am and I also had a 97 Accord. The Accord is the most reliable car that I had of those four, but the Mustang was my favorite for all the reasons that everyone loves Fox bodies. Fun to drive, easy to get parts when something broke, easy to fix. Whether you're like me and not particularly handy and took it to the mechanic, or whether you actually are handy, very easy to fix, especially when I had it in the early 2000s when they were still relatively new. Uh, at that point, it was only a 15 year old car, give or take. Um, so that was my favorite ride, and that car had a lot of meaning to me just because it was. Uh, I, I grew up with my dad owning a Fox Body. He had an '86, and he sold it in '93 or '94. I'm not sure what year, but you know that 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 kind of like made me want my own Fox body. And, and so that car had a lot of meaning to me. And, and that's one thing, if I still had that car today or if I was able to find the new Fox body and believe me, I'm, on bringing a trailer all the time looking <laughs> for one that I can't afford. If I was to have a new Fox body, I'd be using eBay motors to try and find the parts, especially in an older vehicle like that. So that's where eBay motors would, would come in handy. Cause again, eBay motors is here for the ride. So That being said, we're going to bring it back and talk a little bit more about CES. So with the back half of our show today, we're going to continue talking CES with Robbie and go over a few more things that he saw and that we've covered from the show. And then Robbie, at the very end, we're going to kind of put you on the spot and have you talk about the best cars that you drove and the worst cars that you drove in 2023. Chris and I will save ours for next week when we talk to Jake Fisher from Consumer Reports about about what they found to be their best and worst. So we're going to kind of Keep We're going to sit on ours for another week. But, uh, Robbie, we want to hear from you and see what you got to think. So we'll do about 10 minutes or so on the rest of CES and then kind of wrap it up with, with uh, your best and worst of last year. So, Robbie, can you talk to me a little bit about the Honda that you saw at CES? Did you have a chance to check
1: that car out? Um I unfortunately did not, did not okay. unfortunately. We can move on um, then, but, yeah. but what I what I do what I do think is really worth mentioning is um Kia's announcement of their uh it's called their PBV.
0: Yes, that strategy. was also on my list of things to discuss, so we can switch it up and talk Kia. Yeah, sometime,
1: I, I I actually think this is probably one of the 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 biggest newsworthy items that came out of CVS. So, uh Kia is really focusing on this new idea of platform behind vehicle and they debuted essentially a modular platform. So it's essentially like a single chassis essentially like the cab, like the front spot that you'd sit in and whatnot, um, with a endless amount of customization and, you know, different usage cases that attach onto the back of it. Um, So they showed off five different concepts. Uh, You had everything that was, you included a chassis cab type, uh, Mm -hmm. high and regular roof vans. So the best way I think I could describe like how the the Kia PBV looks, and you should definitely, if you have a chance and you haven't seen it, go take a peek online at it. Um, You know, it kind of looks like an egg. Like if you've seen like what Canoe is working on, um, it's Kia's essentially take on it. But I think we're, Kia has the upper the advantage in this is that Kia has the funding to actually make this happen <laughs> yeah um, yeah, but Kia is really kind of reimagining uh, you know the space on wheels as it being a a, a flexible uh, product that you could live with and just do endless amounts of stuff with so for example, uh, maybe you need to have a really modular uh, cargo hauler that you've got these bins that can, you know, click into certain spots inside the van and attach. But then on the weekend, you want to transform it into kind of like an outdoor, uh, camper vehicle, or, um, you know, you want to use it to use it as a space to show off your personal business, like your small business in a storefront. Um, it's these very interesting, uh, very futuristic looking space aged, kind of like hubs on wheels um they're all electric and uh one thing i thought that was really interesting that they highlighted was is they showed a one of the vans one of the um one of the vans uh, i think it was called the pv there's like pv1 pv2 pv5 uh one of them is actually a robo taxi but they showed off a pbv product that was essentially like outfitted for Um, individuals that may have a physical disability so they could so they could um, you know head into the vehicle in their wheelchair thanks to like a ramp that slides out it's really easy to move around inside and then the vehicle can either drive that person to their destination or the person could drive it there themselves Um, so it's a really unique product and even though it looks super, super future focused, and they kind of showed what like a a future world would look like if it was filled with these, um, you know, these, these PV products, um, this is actually happening. Uh, Kia is set to begin production of these uh, PBVs in 2025 in Korea. And they're actually planning to build 150,000 units in their first year. Hmm. Yeah. So this is, this isn't just like, you know, like, Uh, vaporware or anything. I mean, this is, this is actually happening. And while Kia has not, I believe outright confirmed that we're going to be seeing these products in the United States, I can kind of guarantee you, we probably will. Um, They, you know, the usage case is perfect for anything from small businesses to individuals that have, you know, different unique lifestyles. I mean, it's really a cool product and Kia has signed a uh, pretty much like a, a memorandum of understanding. Like they've, they've penned this big agreement with Uber um, to use one of these PV products, the PV five for uh, ride sharing and ride hailing. So they have pretty much secured the deal with Uber to like use some of these electric vans uh, for ride share usage around the world. And I'm sure we'll get to that here in the United States at some point, but it's a, it's a really cool product. And I, you know, the interior is very Ikea-like. It's very lounge-like. It's very flexible. You know, you can move chairs around and the, the steering wheel kind of folds upwards onto the dashboard and, you know, angles downward like a lamp. Um, it's it's really genius. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it uh, come to reality pretty soon. Chris, I want to hear your thoughts
0: just a few minutes if you had a chance to read up on it. But um, I'm curious about... So I remember when Ford brought the transit connect back to the States. Uh, gosh, God, how long ago was that now? A decade or so. Yeah. And Ford's whole thing with that was how, how flexible that van is depending on what type of business you have. So a florist might need a different setup than a baker, right. Or then a pizza delivery service might need something different than a handyman who's going around and, and working at homes. Right. Um, so that was kind of, the big selling point for the transit and I, I don't know how that translated into real world because that's not what I do for a living. I don't, I don't work with fleet stuff. And I never worked at one of those businesses with the transit connect in our fleet, but, um, I'm sure it did well for some folks, but but what I'm curious about Robbie, you can answer this and Chris, maybe you can chime in from what you've seen and read online. I I know obviously you and I weren't at CES, uh, Anyway, what I'm curious about is, is this is this Kia platform going to be basically taking that concept to the next level? It sure sounds like it from the press release, but press releases are, by definition, usually propaganda, right? So, so realistically, is that kind of going to translate to the real world that, hey, if I'm a businessman and I do XYZ business, I can do it this way. And then when I sell the vehicle, it'll be easy for another business. Or if I have different needs for my business, or I want to use it as a taxi on my off time, whatever, you know, is that basically taking that transit connect idea to the next level with this modular body and this ability to, to really transform it?
1: I mean, I would say 100%. Um, I mean, the amount of configuration and
2: modularity, is that a word? Modularity? Uh, it is now. <laughs> it is now modularness um, or, I don't modularness know. there we go um, on the but, podcast it's officially a word there we
1: go we coined it um but you know these kia has again it's like it's such a you know it's one it's a, it's like one vehicle one platform one chassis for a million different uses and just the amount of flexibility and customization and um you know everything clicks into rails either on the sides of the van or on the floor. Um, it's all designed to just allow for pretty much whatever usage you would like, and then have the flexibility to transform when you need it. So, you know, if you do have, um, a cargo hauling business and, you know, you want to, at some point turn it, you know, maybe come the weekend, you want to go to the park with some friends, you want to sit in the van and turn it into more of like a lounge space. Um, this product will allow you to do that. So it's, it's, it, I think it's about as modular and customizable as you can get. And I, uh, you said 2025, right? That's when production is uh, expected to start in 2025 in Korea. And again, they haven't confirmed it for the U.S. market, but I would be willing to bet we'll probably see it later this decade.
2: Okay. Mike, yeah, first concern would be, this is going to be built in Korea. And Tim, you mentioned the Transit Connect. Those were mm-hmm. built in Turkey. And if I recall, yeah. those were built in Turkey and they had to be built, even the ones that were used or that were sold as a pure cargo vehicle which just two seats. They had to be sold with an extra pair of seats mm-hmm. uh, in the back seat mm-hmm. and that were either removed and reshipped to Turkey once they got to the port here. I think it was Baltimore or I don't know if they were doing the uh, remove the sheet uh, the seats and destroy them. I can't remember which, but to avoid the 25% chicken tax, which seems to not be anything that's going away anytime soon, uh, is probably going to have to do something like that. They're probably all going to have to be shipped with four seats, whether they're used as a cargo vehicle or not. Um, or they're going to have to uh, retool plant stateside as well for the uh, production here, if they're going to do Large-scale production. Now, I don't know what the fleet market is like, but I have some, uh, maybe some unusual insight, having been in the sales side of not on the the car side, but I, I worked with contractors, I worked with uh, industrial supply agencies for you now, better part of the last twenty years. So I would be seeing contractors driving in every day for. 20 years and see what they get to drive and you now, you never saw anybody in a truck it was always a van because you needed to make sure it was you know all of your supplies everything you were hauling were was locked down and relatively secure keep those bedling kids away exactly um mm-hmm. it was and it started out being the old ford line that was 80 percent of my customer base was driving into Ford Econoline, but that was prior to the arrival of the, um, the Ford Transit and Ford Transit Connect. And that was prior to um, Mercedes and Freightliner and Dodge and all that doing the Sprinter and the, the Fiat uh, version of there uh, in, which has kind of ex- escaped my mind for the moment. Um, the Ducato. Yes, yeah, I know there what we are. Thank about. you. There <laughs> we go. Thanks, Robbie. Um, but it, it's this is going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting transition for those customers because there are two distinct classes, at least if I could, if I were to say, um, mm-hmm. with a commercial customer, you get the the first class, which is someone who has a business with. 10 20 30 vehicles in a fleet and they've got a very successful established business um they may want to have all of the same vehicle for consistency's sake consistency's sake or they might buy five or six so a year and fair. phase them in exactly and they're going to they're going to wrap them so they have a consistent brand message uh as they go out and see their clients if they're delivering product if they're uh Handymen, craftspeople, whatever it might be, they're going to be but they're going to be perfectly willing to buy something brand new. But it's going to take quite a while for the individual business owner to enforce in- in uh, to go out and buy something new, because they are investing a much more significant amount of money into a vehicle, a or, or much more, I shouldn't say amount of money, because they're paying the same amount roughly, Mm -hmm. a a higher percentage of their business's net worth is going to be wrapped up in that vehicle. And the uncertainty of a new platform, a new drive system, a new everything for the the sole proprietor or the very small business that's going to have one, maybe two vehicles total is going to lead them more likely to an existing vehicle with an existing customer base, existing parts supply. Um, they would be more likely today to go buy a 10 year old Ford Transit Connect. Or if they need something really funky, they'd go get a a small Japanese S Cargo, a Nissan S Cargo <laughs> for the bikes uh, uh, factory. Um, so, because those were. I've seen those used for delivering cakes, like wedding cakes and so it's mm-hmm. such a large uh, rear compartment and they need to minimize their entry costs. So yes, I could see this being a win for the larger businesses uh, that want to consolidate their fleets into one platform. But for somebody that is a small, small business, it's going to be very, very hard to get them into something such a, such a radical radical departure from what they've been experiencing up until now.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good point.
0: I would agree. On that note, we have just a few more minutes left, and I'd like to ask Robbie to give us. Uh, so for Robbie, in case you didn't see it, we did a this this year. We did our best. In theory, our our writers, a couple of people didn't follow directions, but and I will call I will call them out when they're on the podcast next. Uh, but in, in theory, we were supposed to pick our our, our best three and, and, and worst three of 2023 that we drove, and the rules are basically had to have driven it in 23. It could have been a 2023 or 2024 model. We were we would allow a 2022 that had had not been changed because sometimes. For for a little bit of inside baseball here, sometimes cars in the press fleet are old, and like I have I have some twenty twenty threes. I've had like I've had into January February the cars in previous model years. So anyway, the long story short, the the idea was to drive um, or to pick the three best and three worst that you'd driven, even if it was only for ten minutes at like an event. And so I wanted to pick your brain and see what what honored that criteria, what you drove in calendar year twenty twenty three, either twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four model or 2022 that hadn't been changed and you drove it either, either through a loan at your house or an event like, like a mama rally or uh, or a press launch. Uh, what were the three that really stood out to you as great? And what were the three you're like, Oh man, they need to kind of go in a different direction here.
1: <laughs> That's a great question. And you know what, I'm uh, at the break. When you pulled, when you uh, let me know that I was going to be answering this question, I uh, quickly pulled up my list of uh, vehicles I drove this year. So I'm kind of looking at it right now, but um I think my truthful favorite vehicle and I'm gonna say new vehicle um my favorite new vehicle I drove this past year was definitely the ionic six mm-hmm. um, I really liked the ionic five, you know both from the styling perspective and the interior, and I thought the range was good on it um but I just felt like the ionic five didn't really deliver the driving dynamics and, you know, on-road engagement that I was hoping for. You know, I'm an enthusiast, so I really like feeling connected to the wheel and, you know, just driving a vehicle hard and, like, having it feel responsive. And, um, you know, I, I want my car to be fun. And I mm-hmm. feel like what the Ioniq 6 did, um, besides looking just gorgeous, I think the Ioniq 6's styling is one of the coolest-looking vehicles on the road right now, just kind of that retro mm-hmm. um you know, slipstream look. Um, the Ionic Six, I mean, it returned really, really good range. The interior was massive, um, and I just I love the way it drove. And I, I I don't remember off the top of my head what spec I had, but like it wasn't even the full blown, you know, Ionic Six N that's coming at some point. But you know, I just I loved the way the Ionic Six drove. You know, it was an electric car, but it still delivered that that fun you would expect from. Yeah, you know, it, was it was fun to drive. A little for sure.
2: 40. It, it reminds me of the classic infinity J 30. I love mm-hmm, that car. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Yes.
1: My only gripe with the Ionic six was like, truthfully, the only thing I didn't like about it was that I wish that they would have gone with an actual lift back instead of the trunk, because uh, that trunk is very tiny in terms of the opening for it. Um, so I just think from a practicality standpoint, I wish they would have done like a hatchback, kind of like a, like a Kia Stinger type, you know, execution mm-hmm. of it. Um, I think my number two would be, can I say the Toyota GR Corolla? Is yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's no, okay. uh, as long as you drop it this past year, there's no rules <laughs> I, it. I, I did. They I, might um, judge you,
0: but there's no rules against it. No, I, I'm <laughs> kidding. I've, I've not driven it, but I've only heard good things.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I drove that both at Road America around the track, but then I also had it here in Wisconsin for a week. So I was actually able to put a couple hundred miles on it and live with it. And I think from a enthusiast's point, it was just an absolute riot to drive. Um, You know, I couldn't remember the last time I was driving a vehicle that uh, made me smile so much. Like I was, it's giggly. It's fun. It's so nimble. You can just launch it into a corner and floor it and... You know, being able to row your own gears and hear that turbo kind of spool up. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it kind of actually, the driving experience kind of reminded me of uh, some of like the the tuner cars that you would experience like in the early 2000s, like an old like WRX or like a, you know, the, it, just, it was just it was such a hoot. It was such a fun car. I I'd, I'd, would love to buy one if they were a little bit cheaper. Um, and then I think I'm just, you know, I'm looking at my list and I want to make sure I have all my segments covered um i would say and i think this would constitute as a new vehicle but um ram's 2500 uh rebel which for i believe 2023 or 22 um it gained the uh the diesel engine and you know that was this big black you know honking pickup truck uh, it's its diesel engine was just so strong and um I actually had that truck uh, with some heavy snowfall and that thing was just an absolute tank and it was also extremely comfortable on the highway for hours on it and I took it on a uh, you know four and a half hour road trip and it was I was able to almost fall asleep it was so comfortable <laughs> um, as far as letdowns go um you know I I drove BMW's 340i as well as the new X1 this past year. The X1 was redesigned for 2023 and the 340i I love just because it's a sedan. I've always liked the three series, but the the common ding for both of those products was the new iDrive. Um, I've always been a big fan of iDrive. I think it's very easy to use. I think once you figure it out and you kind of get over that little learning curve, it's actually, I think, one of the better infotainment systems out there, but Um, the latest versions of iDrive, and this kind of goes back to what, uh, Chris was saying earlier about, you know, putting all the controls on the touchscreen. Um, the newest version of iDrive gives you this gigantic, you know, BMW kind of like curved display, but all of your common switch gear and controls are on the screen now. And I just found that super, super frustrating. Um, so that would be to the point of like, yeah, you know, the 340 is a, it's an excellent little. Luxury sporty sedan, but I would actually probably go a couple years older just to avoid having that new iDrive system. Um, And then not to not to pick on um, Stellantis too much, but I would say one vehicle, the the other vehicle I just wasn't really a fan of was the uh, the new Tenale. Um, Interesting. Yeah, uh, I had a couple reliability concerns going into it, of course, given that it's an Alfa Romeo. Um but uh throughout the course of my loan I I spent a week with it and it definitely had a couple weird just electrical glitches where the infotainment system would completely freeze and it would stop working. Um some of the ADAS sensors were just going going haywire, you know, even though there was like you know nothing in front of the vehicle or on the side of it. Um, And the thing that makes some Alfa Romeo products just so exceptional, I think, is how they behave on the road. Um, have either of you driven a Julia yet? Uh, yeah.
0: I drove the Quadrifoglio years ago. I've not Ooh. been in, in a re- Julia recently.
2: Mm-hmm. Chris, have you been in a Julia? Yeah, I drove the Julia, actually, Julia and the Tonale at a small event in September, October. Yeah.
1: Mm hmm. So like the Julia was what that's, that's probably, you know, in the however many years I've been in this, that's probably been one of my favorite, you know, sports sedans to drive. I just think it's such a fun car. It's so responsive. It's so nimble. Um, So I was really expecting a lot of that to be, you know, found on the Tenali when I got in it. But uh, yes, the Tenali was a super capable plug-in hybrid. Um, I actually plugged it in, pretty much every day I had it. So I took advantage of that plug-in hybrid drivetrain, as you should. Um, and I was able to do, you know, I would say the vast majority of my driving on electric power alone. Um, so the plug-in hybrid part was great, you know, being able to do all my daily driving without having to use the gas. But when I parked the Tenali next to the Dodge Hornet, you know, obviously they're, they're siblings, um, the the Hornet was infinitely more fun to drive than the Tenali was. Like I just, you know, it's, it's turbo engine was, it, it, it felt lighter. It felt just more engaging. Um, and so, they were both the plug and hybrid version. No, I had the regular, uh, just the gas Hornet.
0: Yeah. I, I have the same thought about the Hornet. The GT is more fun to drive than the, than the PF.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it kind of made me wish that, you know, we were supposed to get a non-plug and hybrid Tenali here in the U S market. Um, but that didn't happen and it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, the Tenali is gorgeous. It's got a really nice interior, um, but I just wish that they would offer it with the, you know, same gas engine that's found in the Hornet without the plug-in hybrid drivetrain. Because I do think that, from a styling perspective alone, like the Tenali looks a lot better than the the Hornet. So those are those are my uh, those are my favorites. And then I guess one last final shout out would be to the uh, the Lexus LC five hundred H I drove back in October. Um, you want a you want a ethereal experience behind the wheel. That's rare to find these days. I think if you get in any spec of the Lexus LC, um, it's probably, I think one of the most humbling vehicles you can uh, be behind the wheel of to tell you the truth.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. All right. We'll have to wrap in just a few minutes here, but before we do, just a few thoughts on Robbie's list. Uh, I don't want to spoil for those who are gonna tune in next week. <laughs> my list, although if you Google it on t you can figure it out with Chris and I, unless we change our minds, which we have to right? <laughs> you can figure out what we wrote uh, a few weeks ago. But I will say the IONIQ 6 was one of my favorites as well for all the reasons Robbie stated. It looks cool and it drove well. It rode really well on the freeway, but also performed well. I also liked that the range, uh, there was very little range anxiety. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the better ranges on a, a, a relatively inexpensive electric car. I didn't need to charge it very much while I had it. Um, if it hadn't been for one long trip to Chicago's far suburbs and back, I probably wouldn't have had to charge it at all. So that's nice. Um, uh, the rest I will save. I have not actually driven most of Robbie's other list. Uh, I've not driven the Tonali. I've driven the p have Hornet. I have not driven the RAM. I've not driven the BMWs you mentioned. Um, I haven't driven a Julia in years, probably five or six years. And the last one I drove was a Quadrifoglio So that's a little bit different than than most, but uh, different than Tonali for sure. So I really haven't been in the same vehicles, even though we, we pull from the same press fleet. So that's interesting. Chris, I don't know what you think. I I don't know if you how much you want to say for next week, but if, if well, you want to chime in what Robbie said, go go uh, feel free.
2: Well, yeah. The Ionic 6, I, I'm looking back over my best and worst, and I'm realizing that I did not, in my best, mention any electric cars. I I don't know why that is. Uh, actually, I do know why that is, because <laughs> while I, I shall, you know, rage against the dying of the fuel pump. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Ionic 6 did impress me. I did have a long-range rear-wheel drive uh, model. And actually I, I do pull out of a different press fleet for those who are uh, listening in. I pull out of the Detroit fleet. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And the Onyx 6 was rather strange. I got a call the night before the car was to be delivered. Hey, do you want me to deliver this with less than hundred percent charge? Uh, because again, they've got 200 miles to drive it to me. So usually they're going to have to stop somewhere close to my house and get it charged up. Mm-hmm. But beyond the 300 plus miles of range that the car has, it has the 800 volt architecture. So if you find a charging station that will do the higher speed DC charging, it is incredibly quick. I think I, I think what they say 10 to 18 or 10 to 80% in 18 minutes. And that was very accurate. Um, in my, in my experience that it charged very quickly and that surprised the heck out of me. Um, I still am cautious to say that I love the driving dynamics of any electric vehicle. Um, The the instant torque is wonderful. The low center of gravity is fun, but it's the mass. There's so much mass in any EV just Mm -hmm. down to the fact that you've got all of that, um, that battery weight down low that you're going to feel it in anything you do. So... Uh, that's why my favorites have still remained to be a gas engine. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that you are right in the sense that like it, the Ionic Six is definitely like a little bit on the heavy side. I would definitely agree with you on that. I think though of all the EVs I've tested over the years, you know, excluding the uh, five hundred and seventy-six horsepower EV Six GT, um, yes. I do think like is in terms of just you know. Normal mainstream, not super performance focused EVs. I think the Ionic 6 definitely is like the better handling of the bunch, but oh, it yeah. is definitely it's definitely a heavy product.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Uh, all right, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. So yeah, just as a reminder,
2: yeah, just as a, for a reminder
0: for those listening, we're talking to my name is Tim Healy. I'm the, the managing editor for the truthboutcars.com, and we're talking to Chris tunn who freelances for TTAC as well as other outlets. And also talking to Robbie DeGraff who is an automotive industry analyst for Auto Pacific. Robbie is based in Milwaukee, I'm here in Chicago. Chris is in Columbus, Ohio and we're all over the country and all over North America since our parent company is based in Toronto. So we are uh, we're talking cars here on truthaboutcars.com podcast. You can find us at truthaboutcars.com or ttac.com. We are brought to you by eBay Motors. So with a, over a 100 Excuse me, with over 122 million parts of your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusion supply. Thank you again for listening to the T-TAC podcast. We'll be back next week with Jake Fisher from Consumer Reports. Until then, check us out at thetruthaboutcars.com or ttac.com.